Welcome. It is a privilege. Hey, Tanya Tav, how are you? It is so fun for me to be here. I mean, um, and I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I uh, was born and raised in the great state of Oklahoma, Emily McKegg. Woohoo, we got some Okies here. I like that. Um, and actually going there this afternoon right after this, uh, my older brother turns 50 today. So I'm going to celebrate him. So came down to Dallas um, to go to school at um, Dallas Theological Seminary, came on staff with Watermark. Um, so I have been around a while. I am no longer on staff, retired in 07. Got married a year before that in 06 to Leonard Bagdanoff. And um, we were blessed with a daughter in January of 08. So, um, and here I am, right with you guys. So you're not hearing from someone that's, even though I might look like that, that I should be several stages ahead of you. I'm right with you. So, Sophie, I'm right there with you, sister. Not on number three, though. <laughs> um, so let me, let, me, let me start with a story. I'm going to talk about comparison, guilt, and shame. And one of the reasons why... Um, I'm going to talk about that with you guys today is because it's one of those things, <laughs> it's one of those things that we all struggle with, as Morgan said, and, and yet the Lord, I believe fully because of his word and because of his son, want us to live in freedom from that. Um, and yet this side of glory, um, there's going to be a struggle with sin. So, um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. My, my background is in counseling, so you will, um, I hope you don't feel counseled as much as encouraged and pointed to God's word. So let me start with a story. This story actually happened last week, and I'm going to try to give some relevant um, right now uh, stories to help you guys too. But um, this was last week, and I was at a baptism last week. And I wasn't baptized, um, and I wasn't baptizing, but I was at a baptize, baptism of someone that I was very, I'm very close to. And so I knew a little bit about his life, and um, it's actually him, uh, knew a little about, about his life, and knew that he had had this struggle with baptism. Um, and yet, he had become a believer at 16, and he was now 43, and had not been baptized. And so um, after the baptism service, I asked him, and I knew this when I was younger, um, but I wanted to be reminded of exactly why he hadn't gone ahead and and was baptized. And he said, well, he said, after I became a believer, um, he grew up in a non-believing family, and after he became a believer, he had um, a conversation with um, some people that are respected that that were believers, and and they were split down the middle on... um, whether he needed to be baptized or not. He was baptized as an infant, um, and, and there are plenty of examples in Scripture about baptism, but they were like, you know what? You don't have to be baptized to be saved, um, if you will. It's not contingent. Your salvation is not contingent on baptism. So he was like, well, if believers you know, are, are saying that, you know, he was like, half of them are saying this, half of them are saying that. So he just decided not to pursue it you know, spiritually in, in the word. He just decided to go with that um, counsel. And so it got a little further, and um, he got married to um, someone who was baptized. She did grow up in a church that, um, you know, baptized believers, and so that's what she had already been baptized, and so they got married, and 
Um, they really didn't join a church. They had moved because of his job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they began to have kids, and, and they actually went to a Baptist church where, I don't know if all Baptist churches still do this, but he to be a member and to serve, you have to be baptized. And, and he just was like, you know what? I don't know if this is the church for us. I don't know if I'll continue to move because of my job, et cetera, et cetera. So he didn't, and he didn't, and they had another child, and they didn't. And they didn't. And so you have this wife over here that's been baptized and is a member and is serving in the church. And you have this daddy who's over here that um, is still kind of not struggling like spiritually, but just kind of it's more of an obedience issue now because he knows what God's word says about baptism. He knows that, that, that God says, you know, Matthew 28, go and be baptized and baptize, you know, and. Um, so anyway, um, so at 43, um, he has been in and out of a couple of different jobs and he got some counsel for, from actually the guy that bap- that actually led him to the Lord. He said, Hey, if there's anything in your life, if there's anything in your life that might be keeping you from hearing the Lord, get rid of it. You can get rid of that. And so, so this this happened, and he had already he and his wife had already decided that he was going to be baptized in their church. They baptize on the quarter, so four times a year, and so he had missed the June one, and so this one last week was coming up. And two weeks, three weeks ago, um, and actually, I'll let the cow back. This is my younger brother, so so I know him very well. And so um, three or four weeks ago, he was at a retreat. And his, the man that led him to the Lord was actually speaking. And, and my younger brother David didn't know that he was speaking. And so he went with his girls and they serve now. It's a little kid's retreat for daddies and daughters. And so he went and he was like, wow. He hadn't seen this guy in two years. And he said, hey, will you baptize me the next time our church has a baptism? He said, absolutely. So lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, he gets baptized. And my, my brother's 43 last week. Um, he gets baptized. He's the first one in a group of 10 people to get baptized. The next three are his daughters. So it's such a beautiful picture as we walk away from what we use, comparison, guilt, or shame, or whatever, that we use to kind of rationalize and justify our actions. Look what happens. Look what happens out of our obedience. Out of our obedience. And it was really a simple thing. And he didn't really, I mean, it wasn't, you know, keeping him from doing different things and growing in the Lord. But it was one of those issues, kind of, when you think about it, you know, comparison, guilt, and shame are some of those issues that just that just kind of nudge us and, and, and keep us from experiencing everything that God has for us. So anyway, a fun story um, to, to kind of open us up to start and tell us. And it reminds me, you know, the story in Acts 16 about the jailer and when the earthquake came and um, with Paul and Silas in jail and the jailer kind of freaks out and gets ready to, he wants to kill himself because he's thinking everybody's going to be gone. And Paul and Silas are still there and they said, whoa, whoa, we're here, we're here, don't do that. And he asked Paul and Silas right there, what does it take to be saved? I want to know your God. I, I, I'm ready. And, and he 
Um, and he, right there, they said, believe and receive. And so he does that, goes home, takes him home, feeds him dinner, and, and his whole family believes. And they're baptized right there. And so, again, those immediate responses of obedience, what they do um, to strengthen our faith. And then the little blessings. And so here, just I'll just share a little another little blessing out of that story is that... Um, I'm running out to my car to go home to come back to Dallas. They're in Tulsa. And um, Drew, my older brother's with me, walking me out to my car. And he goes, oh, don't, hang on just a second. I've got to run this into David. And a guy in church had handed Drew a couple of hundred dollars to give to David because he's out of a job right now, actually. So he's lost a job two times in the last two years. So you just don't even know. You just We just don't even know. Not that we're going to be monetarily blessed. It's not a you know prosperity gospel that I'm trying to teach up here. It's, it's obedience. It's obedience. So, okay. On to the presenting problems of comparison, guilt, and shame. Okay, so I'm going to do this a little like I would set up um, in, in, in a counseling kind of format. So our, our presenting problems are comparison, guilt, and shame. And I'm going to define them for you. And if you, have, if you want to write down notes, I didn't do overheads just because, um, or sheets. I, I want you guys to be engaged. If you want to write, great. If you don't, great. It, it doesn't matter to me, but, but listening, I think, is the most important thing. So comparison is when you compare or examine two or more objects and you note the differences or similarities. So you've got two different things, places, people, things, whatever, and you're noticing the similarities or the differences. And for the sake of our conversation today, I'm going to say that you're comparing in a personal way, okay? That it's not, it, it's not a drum set and a guitar. It's personal. It's you, your child, your spouse, your house, what you look like, etc. It's something personal to you and something else. Does that make sense? Okay. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples. This is what I'm going to do with both, all three of these things. I'm going to give you a couple of personal examples, then I'm going to give you a mommy example, and then we're going to look at God's word um, for a biblical example. So the personal example is one of my struggles. If we were at Regeneration, I would introduce myself as, Hi, my name is Mandy. I have new life in Christ, but struggle or am recovery from um, body image, guilt, and shame, all those people that are in sub- or, or regeneration. See, I can't even say it. We've changed the name. We've changed the way we introduce ourselves. I'm so old. So anyway, my personal example is my body image. I've struggled most of the majority of my life with what I look like. A lot of pressure um, was put on me when I was younger for my outer appearance. So, um, and that has been a constant struggle. So, so when I look at myself, and I think a lot of women probably struggle with this, especially when you have a child at almost 43, so you don't quite lose that as much as you sweet ones did when you were in your 20s and 30s, Um, but when you look at yourself in the mirror, when you look at yourself next to someone else, we're all different shapes and sizes, Amen? amen? Amen. So yet, we can really get into a comparison trap when we compare ourselves outwardly to other people, whether it's our hair, our clothes, our weight, um, anything like that, very personally, it can be a real struggle. And I, I can easily fall into that struggle. I can easily fall into that struggle. So that's the first example in comparison. Think of it that way. Um, so the mommy example, 
Um, I think one of the biggest struggles that I had hope is um, almost five. She'll be five in January. So one of the struggles that I have had with her, and if you guys heard me talk a couple of years ago, um, sleeping was a big issue with our sweet Hopi. And true to form, guess who got up at about 6.30 today? Who usually sleeps to 7.30? Hope Bennett Bagdanoff. So she is rising and shizing with the birds this morning. Um, But I really struggled with, oh, my gosh, I am not, because I'm hearing these women going, at six weeks, down for the count, baby. She was out. She slept 12 hours, 14 hours. I was like, are you kidding me? I was still getting up at 4.30 and 5 in the morning. Look at Amy's going, absolutely. So hope is just, she's ready and she's ready to go, you know? And so I use that to compare in a very negative way. Some people can use comparison in a positive light and, you know, as encouragement to, you know, do the next right thing or whatever, I typically own it personally and go, I must be doing something wrong if I'm comparing that. Now, right now, what um, what my big struggle is with Hopi is that, you know, she is just in her first year of preschool. She did not go to preschool um, until she was four. And so um, she goes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so the big thing for me now is I'm not, I'm not with her. You know, and so my comparison is, you know, when she comes home to tell me, you know, what's going on or, you know, her little teacher, Mrs. Gonzalez, you know, gives me a little Bob book and says, you know, she's supposed to, you know, not supposed to. She's this is what we're working on right now. And Stephanie's like, well, is that where she's supposed to be? Does she should be reading, you know, Cat in the Hat, what she should be doing? You know, it's all in my mind. It just goes. I'm comparing. What is everybody else doing? You know, I really don't know a lot of the I know the families, but don't know them well. They're not in my posse group. And so I'm thinking, you know, what's everybody else doing? You know, are they is she online? Because I'm thinking, you know, I'm even comparing her to when I was growing up and, you know, not so much TV in, in my day and age. And computers, negative, so that kind of stuff. So I did spend a lot of time with books. So I was an early reader. So bad, bad news for Hopi because I'm like, sister, we got to get on the, the ball. But that's I think we have to be careful with those milestone comparisons. Is we, I mean, boys and girls are different, and kids are different. You know, sibling order has a lot to do with all that stuff. But throwing all that even aside, it's just your kid. You know, this is who God has entrusted you with, however, and whoever they are, you know, go with it. And, and, and so I think sometimes that can be really, really difficult for us when we start to listen to where other people are in their um, milestones and just go, oh, we must be doing something wrong or, or what's wrong with my child. So, and then the biblical example I want us to turn to, if you've got your Bibles, let's open up to Genesis 4, and a very familiar story, Um, Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, 1 through 5. So, um, Cain and Abel were brothers, and um, so you've you've got these two guys that are... One is a tiller of the ground, and one is a shepherd. He's, he's a farmer, so he's got animals. So Cain has the ground, and Abel has the animals. So you've got these guys, and they are wanting to worship the Lord. They are wanting to worship the Lord, and they are giving 
these sacrifices, these offerings to the Lord. And so Cain gives an offering. In the Bible, there is no additional adjectives with that. Does anybody have their Bible open and they can read it? I do not have my glasses up here. Stand up. Oh, look who it is. Hi, Jill. Where are we? Four, one through five. Okay, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offspring, but on Cain and his offspring, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So let's, let's look at these two brothers, and let's think about this for just a second. So you've got offerings that are given. You've got God saying to the guys, to Cain, I really don't have any regard, any respect for what you've just brought me. And yet he gave him something. He gave him an offering. And then you've got Abel, who God shouts his praises. Way to go. Way to go good and faithful servant, whatever. And, and, and he used descriptor words to what this was. It was firstborn and fat portions. I mean, a big deal. So when you think about that, when you think about what they did and what they gave, think about with me. We're going to come back to this. Think about with me where their hearts were. Think about with me where their hearts were. Okay? Now, so personal example, mommy example, biblical example, and the end result, the end result of comparison is what? Where is their heart? Where, where is my heart in the two um, personal examples with myself and my body image and my daughter and the milestones? And then the biblical example with Cain and Abel. Where are their, where are their hearts? Where are they focused? Ab. Absolutely. Great. Absolutely. When we compare ourselves with others, we are consumed with ourselves. We are consumed with ourselves. We're self-centered. We're self-focused. We're self-protective. We're worshiping self. Self is on the throne. Okay? Self is on the throne. Okay. Now let's talk about guilt for a second. And here's, here's the definition that I'm going to use for guilt. So it's a committed offense, crime, violation, wrong, especially against moral law. And, and for today, I'm, re- I'm going to talk more about disobedience in that realm. So when you think of guilt, think of disobedience. Okay, when you think about these examples. So for the personal example, I want to talk a little bit about my laziness. So I struggle with just forward thinking, thinking through my day. I'm not a planner. I'm very spontaneous. Um, I like to be spontaneous. I like to be able to go at a moment's notice. I'm I'm the opposite of um, administrative. So whatever that looks like. Um, 
chaos. It's a nice way to say chaos, isn't it, Elizabeth? I'm a little chaotic. Um, but I'm, I mean, I'm fun-loving the positive side. I'm, I'm fun-loving. I'm hopefully fun. I'm, I'm an otter. I, I like to have fun. Look at my friend Gina Benders in the back shaking her head. Go positive. Go positive. So anyway, but I know. I mean, that's why God gave me a, a great gift in my husband because he's he is more orderly. You know, it's funny. He so sweetly a couple of days ago, he goes, maybe we think we can do more than we think we can in the amount of time we have given. And I was like, oh, that's real sweet of you to say it that way. And I'm saying, you mean I need to get up 15 minutes earlier and maybe get myself ready to go before Hope gets up and so we can get her out the door by 8.15? Yeah, it's a good thing school is just a block away from us so I can walk down there with her. But um, anyway, so I indulge myself. Um, I have a very much a lack of self-control when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. That last one is typically last for me as well. So... Um, and a great um, example comes with my mommy example. So, <clears throat> you know, Hope and I have great days. We lo- I love, love, love to spend time with her. But because my temperament is a little um, spontaneous in things, and so what, and again, I didn't, I didn't grow up with the iPhone and the computer like y'all did, so I'm a little bit behind the times on ordering my world in such a way that looks... Um, that benefits hope, I feel like. You know, sometimes, and, and again, don't hear me say that this is all the time because I'm growing right there with you. I'm trying to create a balance of responding to people and that need to be responded to and waiting, but you still have to go check it to respond. So, so anyway, um, I can sometimes use, out of my laziness, I can sometimes use the television, I can use the computer, I can use games, whatever, to help, even a book or a coloring page, to not give Hopi my best. So out of laziness and not ordering my days well at times, I can do this. And I, I, I feel guilty about that. I feel guilty, and I'm sure you guys can relate to me, is it just sometimes, and, and yet there's sometimes I walked up here with Sweet Sarah Hammock, who's got three that are all three younger than mine, and I'm like, wow, that's that's got to be busy. That's got to be busy. And, you know, she was sweet and said the Lord's grace and stuff like that. And, and that's true. I mean, I do think I look at you guys and, and I think, I mean, I kind of grew up with Alex and Todd a little bit. And so I can remember those days and just going, wow, that is a lot. And my older brother, Drew, had twins and a two-year-old. And um, so I had baby twins and a two-year-old. And it's just a lot. And don't hesitate to turn on the television or do something like that because you need that a lot. But yet, at the same time, <laughs> a lot, I, a lot. <laughs> sometimes, um, a lot for me maybe because of my personality. But I think that sometimes we have to be careful that when we feel that go into the realm of conviction, that we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention to those kinds of things. Um, my mommy example, so that was my mommy example. My biblical example, turn to John 8 with me if you've got your Bibles. Turn to John 8. And we're going to tell, and, and Wags has been, Todd's been in John, so um, if you've had a chance to listen to him at all. Um, and then this is a very familiar story. It's the adulterous woman, but I want you to focus on the Pharisees. I want you to focus on the Pharisees. Julie, stand up and read, can you? Stand up and read John 8. Oh, she, you know, she had her Bible out. I, I did, but I was writing copious notes. <laughs> John 8, 1 through 9. <laughs> yep. 
Christy, I'm putting you to the test back there, aren't okay. I? Oh, here we go. There you go. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn. Oh, I'm sorry. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand up before the group. Um, (laughs) They made her stand up before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Mm. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Mm. Where do I go to? That's to nine. To nine? Okay. Mm-hmm. But Jesus uh, bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When, he kept on questioning, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Julie. So here we go. So uh, the passage is very famous. Um, you've, got, you've got three central characters in this passage. You've got Jesus, you've got the Pharisees, you've got the adulterous women. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus in this passage. And the reason they wanted to trap him, because, again, when we... When we struggle with guilt, our performance is on the continuum. We are trying to figure out how to perform right or we performed wrong and we feel guilty. Okay? So the Pharisees are there and they're trying to trap Jesus because they had the law and they were, their, their rightness was because they thought they were obeying the law. But Jesus came to do what? He came to abolish the law. He came to abolish the law. So, so they, their expectation of who Jesus was and the Messiah, how the Messiah was coming and who that person was going to be, was blown out of the water. And they were struggling with, wait, wait, wait. This is what the law says. She's an adulterous woman. So they went and got a known sinner, clearly a known sinner. They went and got her, and they said, okay, Jesus, what are you going to do with her? Are you going to obey the law, or are you going to not? And what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do in this passage? He, you know, there's a lot of, because we don't know what he wrote in the sand, we don't know, but a lot, of, a lot of pastors and theologians would definitely say he wrote something that would trigger in their minds that, you know what? You haven't fulfilled the law. You haven't fulfilled the law. You are no different than this sweet gal that has struggled in adultery. So with that, they got out of there. Okay, with that, they got out of there a bit. How do you think in that moment when Jesus began to write whatever he wrote, the feelings of condemnation that those guys felt, the need for, see, they were looking for acceptance based on their performance. And so then Jesus blows their performance out of the water and they're like, whoa, now I'm guilty. 
Now I'm guilty. So they, what, you, what do you do when you're guilty? Skedaddled. They're gone. They're gone. So it's interesting, and I want to, I want to, you know, look at that a little bit, and I'll look at it a little bit more. But think about, so the Pharisees left, but who stayed? Who stayed? So that's a great thing. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But guilt puts what on the throne? Our performance. Guilt puts our performance on the throne because you're looking for a standard. When you feel guilty, you're looking for that standard. You're looking for that standard. So, so anyway, so when you think about guilt, for the sake of this conversation, think about your performance and meeting a performance. I feel guilty when I have this standard of what a, what a mom should be, and it's you know spending 24-7 with hope. Now, is that a realistic standard? Absolutely not. But standards don't have to be realistic. They don't. It's something in our mind that we are using our performance to find acceptance through. Okay? Now, let's jump to the last one. The last one is shame. The last one is shame. And the definition that I'm going to use is um, disgrace, the painful feeling arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, or ridiculous. Okay? Now, for me, one of the things that just shames me um, is when I hear through... um, the world's voice, it can be anybody, it can be something, you know, anywhere, but that I should be doing something differently. So kind of that shoulda, coulda, woulda, you know, whether it be someone or something saying that. Um, I think some of the the biggest examples for me, um, you know, I grew up in a non-believing family, and so um, I you know, again, performance was really key. And, and sometimes I can really go backward if I'm not careful to guard my mind, can go backward and hear some of those voices of performance. You didn't do why you're not getting the acceptance that you need is because you didn't perform well. So I think some of the shame, when you dwell on some of those things, the shame can really be heaped up. The continual sin pattern, like the the, the story we just read, the adulterous women, that's really can be really shameful in our lives. So um, those are some of the things for me. The, the mommy example that is just, is, is, I mean, you guys will just laugh, um, but the mommy example for me is I have not gotten the opportunity, see how nicely I frame that, to make any picture books for Hopi yet. So the pictures are all there, ready to go. Can I hear an amen out there? There is Jackie Lynn. I'm like, wow, how do people do it? And yet I have these friends, administratively gifted, I have these friends that have picture books from like monthly, scrapbooks, picture books, whatever. I was kind of trying to do picture because that's kind of the, isn't that with it? You know, you get those mixed books things in the mail. That's kind of a new thing. I would have done a scrapbook. Maybe I could have done a scrapbook. But the picture books are one of those things of cutting and pasting. I just, I I just don't do that. So anyway, but one of these days, and see, I love this because here I am accountable now. So anybody who has that administrative gift, take me on a weekend. I'd love it. We can take my computer. I have a laptop. We can do all this together. It'd be great. I can entertain while you do my picture book. Perfect. Avengers <laughs> just dying laughing. The, see, there you go. There's my chaotic friend in the back right there. I was the children's director first. She was the second children's director of Watermark Community Church. There you go. 
That's right. Both of us do. Okay, so, but I can really feel, I'm thinking, I go forward and I go, what's going to happen? You know, is she not going to remember what she was like? Is she going to think yada, yada, yada? But anyway, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of funny because we'll go over to people's houses and she'll, and she'll go, where are my books, Mommy? In the computer, Hope. They're in the computer. So let's go to, let's go to the biblical example. Let's go to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, 1 through 7. This is a very infamous passage. This is when sin came into the world. <clears throat> hey, Julie, will you pass the microphone back to Mildred behind you, Mrs. Hale? See, that's why I don't... <laughs> there you go. There you go, Elizabeth. Thank you. Genesis 3, 1, go 1 through 7. Okay. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Great. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Okay. So we've got all Adam and Eve in the garden. Perfect. Perfect relationship with God. Perfect place to live. And yet she's deceived. And yet she's deceived. Just like us. Perfect spirit inside our hearts, perfect word, perfect savior, and yet we're deceived. We're deceived. And but how does it make you feel? How does it make you feel after it happens? I mean, so she's having this, this she's having this great communion with the Lord and then she meets the serpent and he twists the words. You know, the hard thing about deception is there's usually some truth in it. And there is. There's some truth. In what she said, you know, surely God said you wouldn't die. Surely God said you wouldn't die. And she didn't physically die, did she? But spiritually, she did. Spiritually, she did. So for us, as we look at this example and we look and we identify with the shame that Adam and Eve feel, covering, hiding first, and then covering their nakedness, Ah, uh, just breaks your heart, doesn't it? It breaks my heart for myself, for all of us, for Leonard and Hope and friends. I just hate, I hate, I hate the response of shame when you struggle. Because again, where are, where are the hearts of Adam and Eve? Where are our hearts? Where are our hearts in this situation? And, and, and I'll, I'll finish the, the rhetorical statement. It's in their feelings. 
It's how they felt towards God. They were now scared of God. They were hiding from him. I mean, again, they had perfect, I, I, you know, I can't wait to get to heaven because I can't wait to have that perfect relationship with the Lord continuously like Adam and Eve did. I mean, what a blast. What a blast to be able to just go in and out of that and not struggle with sin and its effects. But this is now what Adam and Eve were struggling with. And so the feeling, just instantly what happened when their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked and then they realized, oh no, what's going to happen with God? What's he going to do? And I think what's great about this, and, and, and we'll transition here, is, and I think you can see it so clearly in this example, and we're going to transition to the positive. Um, the transition with God and Adam and Eve is the same transition that we have in our lives. It's love. It's the transition of love. It's seen as mercy in this situation. God could smite them right there. We know that. He did it. We've read examples of it in the Old Testament. He did that. Someone turned into a pillar of salt, you know? He could have done that with Adam and Eve. His mercy is new every morning. Every morning, gang. And so with this shame feeling, how you feel when it's sin upon sin upon sin. I mean, you, I, we can read that passage and we can probably, oh my goodness, then she gave it to Adam. Then she blamed Adam. He blamed her. He was like, God, and then he blamed God. You shouldn't even have given her to me. What up with that? She made me sin. You gave her to me. It's your fault, God. So, I mean, it is just sin upon sin, that shame that's just heaped through this passage. It's unbelievable. But the overarching love, the overarching love, and let me give you a picture of this that I feel like we can all relate to as moms. So, um... I had the privilege on Wednesday morning of being a children's teacher. For all those who go to Wednesday morning Bible study, I'm a purple parrot teacher, and I love it. I love the purple parrots. I've been a purple parrot. You may have said, I had you, my kid had you three or four years ago as a purple I haven't graduated from the purple parrots. I've been there for about five years now. I, and I love it. And I love it. And I love those kids. I think they're just turning four, and it's such a fun, fun age. I love it. So anyway, one of the sweetest examples that you see with children who are at four, they're just kind of putting things together mentally. The cognitive, I mean, the wheels are just turning, and it is a beautiful thing to see. So when, um, so we close up at about noon, and the kids are know this. I mean, they, so they get it cognitively. They get it. Their parents are going to come back. They kind of get all this. And then you begin to see one by one the parents come back and pick up their children. And, well, let me tell you, some of those kids' faces are glued to the door. They are waiting. They can't wait for their parents to come get them. It is the sweetest, sweetest picture of unconditional love because in my mind I'm thinking, you know, remember, your parents left you here about an hour and a half ago. And I'm thinking, in my mind going, we don't act like that. We don't act like that. We don't respond in an unconditional 
way like our children do. It is so beautiful. I think we see it every day too. You know, if you're if you're married and your husband's coming home or if you work and you're coming home to see your kids, I mean, let me tell you, Hope Bagdanoff, she can hear the gate close and open from our backyard when Leonard comes through. I mean, and she's got, there's big, these huge, big picture windows in our back and she sees him. I mean, she is out the door and racing to go give him a hug. And it is, she just may be tired of me or she may be excited to see Leonard. (laughs) But anyway, it is such a great picture of how God loves us. How God loves us, even in our comparison, guilt, and shame. He is waiting at the window looking and waiting for us to come back to him. Waiting, waiting, waiting. And I think about that picture, and I think about the change that can happen if we understand God's love for us. So let's take our problems. Let's take the comparison with the end result of ourself being on the throne. Let's take the guilt with the end result of our performance being on the throne. Let's take the shame with the end result of our feelings being on the throne, and let's take them off, sisters. Let's take them off. Let's go back to the story of Cain and Abel. And I did bring my glasses. I didn't realize that until I went and looked at my purse. Thank you, the Lord, for prompting me. Go look in your purse. You might have them. And I did. So let's go back to the story of Cain and Abel from Genesis 4. And let's go back and let's ask ourselves some questions. So we're learning how to take off comparison here. So, I'm just going to read the last couple of verses. You all remember the story, Cain and the offering, Abel and the offering. Cain's was not quite adequate, and Abel's was very adequate. So, I'm going to start at verse 4. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain, for his offering, he had no regard. So, Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. He was angry because what? He wasn't affirmed. His, he was on the throne, and he wasn't affirmed in what he gave. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fell? If you do well, will your countenance be lifted up? Will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And Cain told Abel his brother, And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Okay, let me ask you all some questions. What were the guys doing in this story? What were they doing? Just just shout it out. What were they doing? Trying to please the Lord. They were, I'm going to go as far as to say, and they were really worshiping the Lord. we're going to see, the offerings haven't been in place yet. This is early, early in biblical times. The offering, you know, stuff and the rules and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and um, that kind of things weren't in place yet. So they were out of their own, what God had created them to be, out of their own hearts, they were giving back to God. They were giving, they were, their hearts of worship were being expressed to God out of what he had given them to do. So one was one was the person with the animals and one was the guy who was raising the crops. So why why did one brother do one thing and one brother do the other? What? Jealousy. Jealousy? Why why did one brother 
give an offering that was regarded and one brother give an offering that wasn't regarded to the Lord. What's key here in this passage? What do you, what do you feel and see that's key? Their hearts. That's exactly right. Their hearts and sacrifice. Sacrifice. When our self is on the throne, it is very difficult for us to get our arms around sacrifice. When we are looking to God and to others, it is much easier for us to sacrifice. Much easier. We see the blessing and the benefit of that. And so you've got these two guys. You've got one. And, and again, I can see myself so much in Cain. Because I'm thinking in my mind, I'm, for, I'm trying to forward think. You know, I need stuff for the winter. I need stuff for my kids. I need stuff here and there and everywhere. So I've got to keep back some of, the, some of my fruit and vegetables. I've got to be able to provide and, and, you know, for my kids. Yet you look at Abel, and, and again, he's the one that's trusting God. He's going, no, I, I'm going to give my first fruits. I'm going to give even my fat portions to the Lord. I'm trusting God that he will provide even more. He will provide even more for me. And, and so you think, even though, again, the focus is on their heart and what they're allowing and offering to the Lord. And I think that's what's so interesting for me in the comparison. And I, and I want you guys to try to apply those truths back to your personal examples that you either wrote down or you thought about. And I'll go to my personal examples of um, body image and my personal examples with Hopi of the milestones. And it's about me. I'm not trusting the Lord with any of that. My focus is out here rather than up here. Rather than up here. And, and so I'm going to encourage you guys with taking yourselves off the throne with surrender and sacrifice. Surrender and sacrifice. And I think one of the hardest things, if you have a baby, I think one of the hardest things that women go through is the transition of sleep to no sleep. I mean, it is tough. We've been we have not been trained in this area. Now I know, you know, a lot of a lot of us and I was, I was in and out of sickness when I was pregnant, and so God does train us, I think, in that way. But, you know, I was trained from Whenever, I'm sure that my mom was this great mom and I was probably sleeping at six weeks or, you know, through the night. But you've got a whole lifetime until I'm 43 years old of sleeping consistently and continuously. And then all of a sudden, I mean, wow, you guys, that's a big deal to get up every three and four hours and sometimes more. And that makes us shorter that makes us i mean our emotions that's everything and and it's so easy to put us on the throne just in the matter of sleep i just i need some sleep and we do you know as as young mamas and so that's what's so interesting and so the sacrifice and the surrender of that is very difficult i get it i get it um and it's one step at a time one day at a time but he will provide i do know that and, and the focus I want you, so if we're taking off, what are we putting on in this situation? My encouragement to y'all, 
when you take yourself off the throne, put on the character of God. Learn more about him, his attributes, his attributes, so your worship can be upward. So your worship can be upward. I think it's difficult, and this is just me and my personal example. I think it's difficult to read those scriptures of do this, do this, do this. Because then it's like, well, I don't have any time to do. So my encouragement is to just to do this. And we can, we can, we can, it starts here. We can get our minds around God's character. And I'll tell you what, one of the easiest things, if you have um, a child, if you go to Wednesday morning, you have a child in that children's program, we're studying the names of God right now. And it has been great to hear my sweet four-and-a-half-year-old be able to repeat, God is the great I am. God is the way. He is our strength. He is mighty. He is the king. I mean, she, I mean, it's great. We do one a week. It is awesome. And just to repeat those, and then you repeat them. I mean, you do it when you're, when you're feeding your babies, when you're up in the middle of the night. You repeat those instead of, instead of focusing on yourself and what you're not getting, sleep, um, focus on God. Do the upward and not the outward. It is so much more beneficial. And it will allow us to resonate with Abel rather than Cain. Hopefully we're not out there killing our brothers, but we may be killing some other things, you know, in a figurative speech. So, all right? Okay. Um, Yes, good question. Thank you. I love questions. It's in three years, and I struggle with the same thing. Like, mm-hmm. I deserve time in the morning. I deserve my coffee. I deserve this because I haven't slept in four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently, the Lord has just been like, that, that's, that's junk. Mm-hmm. You need to be with me. Mm-hmm. And so, like, literally, like, eight weeks ago, he was like, just wake up 30 minutes before, mm-hmm. and I will bless you. Mm-hmm. And so I've started to put on, this is just an example of something that the Lord convicted me that, like, you need to be with Jesus so that you don't scream at your kids all day. <laughs> because I mean, like, got a spirited three-year-old boy, I've got a two-year-old climbing walls, and I've got a ten-month-old who's about to walk. And so, like, they're all going three different directions, you know. And Mama Nate's and Xanax. I mean, I, like, it's crazy. And so um, the Lord is like, be with me and I will bless you. And so he told me, like, September. And so I started getting up at 6.30 and, um, and um, I get in the bathtub and I put on Pandora and I put on like Fernando Ortega or Bebo Norman or some worship music and literally I just worship the Lord and pray and I read my Jesus Calling and like literally it's like 10, 15 minutes but it has blessed me as a mom to put God first. It's like, okay, Lord, like it's out of control here and I love Jesus and I want to tell my kids about Jesus but, you know, when, when I'm feeling like everybody's pulling me. I've got three in diapers trying to nurse and trying to potty train. And I mean, like, it's crazy. But when I say to the Lord, I can't do it, but you can. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. it just changes my whole day. And it's so simple. It's like, okay, it's Pandora. And, and it's one page of a Jesus calling. I'm like, okay, Lord, you know, John 14, six. Okay. I got that for the day. Go. And it's like, okay, I can't do a Beth Moore study for an hour and a half every morning. That's not going to happen in my life. But, this is, I'm like, it's simple. No, I think that's right. And like, or another friend said, when you're nursing your baby, just pray. That, that's eight times a day, okay, that you could be praying. 
And I was like, oh, really? Well, that's revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Instead of like, oh, God, I'm going to nurse the baby again. You know, it's like, that's right. instead of getting bitter and angry at four that's in the morning, right. take the time to pray. That's right. It's simple, but Amen. Amen, sister. No, no interruptions. <laughs> this is a fluid talk, always. Anybody else have anything they'd like to say? I don't want to, I want to open it up. Um, but let me, let me give you a couple of passages. Um, well, Psalm 103 is, is well, let me just read that over you guys real quick, because that's, that talks about God and his attributes. I do have my glasses. Put them on. They're very attractive. They're from the dollar store. Okay, 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. That's 103, 1 through 8, and that is a great passage. We know that first verse, don't we? But do we remember the rest of them? But do we remember the rest of them? Okay. Now, let's take off performance, okay? So let let me review. Take off self. Put on what? God. Put on God. Put on his character. Get it, get it going this way. Get it going this way. Your mind has a lot to do with that, you guys. So work on controlling that. Okay. Let's go back to the Pharisees to John 8. All right. And I'm going to read it because I feel like, for time's sake, I feel like that um, you guys know this story well enough. So what, what were the Pharisees doing in this story? We talked about it. What were they trying to do? Did you, trap him. Trap Jesus. Good job. Thank you for that interaction. You're still out there. Yes. Why? Why? Why do you trap someone? Why do you try to trick them? There you go. They were struggling with who they were, their identity, how Jesus made them feel, etc. They were they were they were guilty. What's Jesus doing in this story? What's he trying to do? Show them what? Show them love. Show them love. Humble? Humble? He he he, he wants to help them understand the way to the cross. It's not performance. It's grace. So what the question I want you guys to think about is what would Jesus write in the sand if you were there? What would Jesus write in the sand if you were there? Think about that with me for just a second. And now we're going to shift from being a Pharisee to um, the woman, the adulterous woman. How, 
what was she doing? How was she responding to everything that was going on? You know, she's just kind of an, an outside player in this. She's really not involved. She's being used by the Pharisees. So what's her response? What's her response? How do you, what do you think she was feeling? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Shame. shame. She's feeling shame. Yeah, because, they, because what, did they, what had they done? They had highlighted what? Her sin was on the billboard. Woohoo! I'm an adulteress. Embarrassed. Embarrassed that they even knew. What else? Fear. Fear, Fear of what was going to happen. She could, she could die. She knew the law. She could die. How would have you responded? How would you respond in that situation? If you were the woman, how would you have responded? Gratitude. 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 Let's, let's take it before that, Julie. Let's go... Um, so Jesus writes in the sand, the Pharisees leave. Would you have stayed there or left? As the adulterous woman, would you have stayed there or would you have left? I would have, I would have left, I'm sure. I was like, whoa, free out. You know, because we typically associate freedom with what? You get to go? I wasn't caught. I wasn't caught. I'm free, driving down 75, woo, it's 65, I should go 70, I won't get caught if I go 70. Isn't that what we think? Isn't that what we think? So the woman, there's no one there, sister, you got a free ticket, you got a free ticket. So... Jesus' response to the woman was what? Love, forgiveness. But does he condone what she's doing? No. Does he condemn what she's doing? No. What does he do? Go and sin no more. He points her to truth. Go and sin no more. And that's really, for us, um, in the guilt, he points her back to, he, he, he demonstrates grace to her, love, forgiveness, grace, and then sends her out. Go and sin no more. And that, and, and so I, I want to present to you, so how we take our performance off the throne is... By under under the love and forgiveness of God, we put on grace. We put on grace, and I think it's grace for ourselves and also grace for others, because people hurt us. People are guilty of hurting us, but how do we respond? How do we respond? Forgiveness and grace forgiveness and grace. And that's where it's not take the performance out. There's not a continuum here. There's not except under the Lord, which is love. Love. How do we love? And in it again, sometimes as we've learned, I feel like through his word, sometimes love is telling him go and sin no more. Love isn't condoning or condemning. It's it's love under grace and encourage him, go and sin no more. It would not be loving to say, okay, you're free. No one's going no to condemn you. No one's going to stone you. You're free. 
You're free. He told her the truth under the love and grace of Jesus Christ, of who he is. So it's really a great picture when we take, when we take our performance, when we don't put that, I am good, because we've been imputed with righteousness. Again, going back to Romans, we have been imputed with righteousness. There's nothing of ourselves. You think of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you know, for by grace we have been saved, not of our works that no one should boast. Okay, those types of scriptures need to be in your back pocket to remind you that it's about grace. It's not about your performance and other people's performance. Because I think we're at such a vulnerable season as young mommies. Um, I think we're very, very vulnerable. And if we don't have those scriptures in our back pocket, we can easily be hurt by other people's words, actions, etc., so be extenders to yourself of grace and be extenders of others to grace to others. Okay? So taking that off the throne, putting on grace. Taking guilt off and putting on grace. So our last one <clears throat> is shame. Okay? Let's go back to Genesis 3. And again, I feel like we know this story. I picked three stories, not thinking we would read them, but thinking we knew them well enough. But then I always like to read God's word. Um, so going back to Genesis three, so here they are here. Let's, let's look at their shameful response. So the sin has happened. They've disobeyed. Um, the eyes, verse seven, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden they just heard the sound of him and in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden and the Lord God called to the man and said where are you and he said I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid. Not even his voice, not even, he didn't even say anything to him yet. He just heard his sound, and he was scared. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And here comes the rolling sin effect from 12 through the end of that chapter. Well, not through the end, because then it has the curse up to there, but the next couple of scriptures. So we've got the feelings, the, the hidden feelings of them. So when you think about yourself, put yourself in this picture, and when you think about yourself, what are you hiding from? Who are you hiding from? Think about specifically any areas in your life where you may be hiding, where you may be hiding. You know, again, um, I think shame and I think hopelessness there, um, who knows, and I can't, uh, you know, not off the top of my head, I didn't really think through this before, but I'm going to go ahead and say it, that um, the adulterous woman, there's one story, and I don't know if it's this one, that, you know, she had five husbands. Um, and that's might be another, is that another story? But anyway, so so you've got the picture. Adulterous, she's had, se- you know, she's had several men that have been her husbands. And when you think about what makes you feel shame, the continuous cycle of something that you're stuck in. So it's not just 
you know, broke the, broke the law, got a ticket. But what if it was like your fifth ticket in five years and your insurance was going up and stuff like that? So there, that, that shame, think of that feeling of what you could be hiding from. Again, I, and, and, and I don't want to be, I mean, I, I kind of joke about it because of my personality, but, but sometimes I can um, really, because I, I do have to work a little harder at administrative tasks, I'm not a task, I'm, I am queen of relationships, so love you, talk to you any time of the day, day or night. Um, and, and so that can, that can also be a shameful feeling to people. And I'm the opposite. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, those sweet girls at administration talking is harder for, for those folks. And so you may feel that way too. If you, you are gifted in that arena that is, man, it's just really hard. I don't even want to talk to my neighbor, you know, and things like that. And so that's where I think for all of us, there is so much freedom in shame when we remember who we are, our identity, our worth. So taking off that shame, taking off those feelings and remembering truth, and specifically for me, it's truth about who I am in Christ. I am the light of the world. I am a new creature. I am robed with his righteousness. I am. I am imputed with his righteousness. I am a daughter of the king. I am. You know, I mean, that's who I am. Not because of anything I've done, because of everything Christ has done. That's who I am now. I'm no longer Mandy Bagdanoff. I am a Christian, a little Christ. That's who I am. So it is so sometimes so hard to see us differently than our struggle or than our even achievements. So that, so taking off self, remembering truth, and then get it specific, your identity in Christ. For me, that's who it is. The shame, identity in Christ, go back to the identity in Christ. So that's kind of, that's kind of where that's kind of the word we're in. I'm going to end with one more story. And um, so <clears throat> yesterday, no, Wednesday, I'm up here on Wednesdays with Bible study. And I was um, coming out of the elevator, getting ready to go outside and eat a little lunch, and someone stopped me. A sweet mom stopped me who has um, a daughter, Hope's age. And she, she leads. She's a small group leader. I'm on Wednesday mornings, and she stopped me and said, hey, I want to stop you, and I want to tell you something real quick. And um, I said, and she said, do you have time? I said, sure. Um, sure, is it about me? Sure, I have time. <laughs> so um, anyway, um, she said, she goes, I just want to tell you what a sweet girl you have. And I said, she said her daughter had woken up the last three mornings with hives, and so um, she's not contagious, but she can't play and run around. I guess that, that kind of um, makes it more inflamed or whatever. So she is lubed up with calamine and sitting down there. And so hope, my sweet little empathetic, mercy-filled hope, comes and sits right by her. Instead of running and playing and doing all that kind of stuff, she sits by her. She and her, her mom stayed in there with her, and so she sat right by her and just asked her what was going on and how she was doing. I mean, this is at four. I'm thinking, wow, Lord, you have done a work in that sweet child. 
because I'm so self-focused. I'm like, oh, what is it? What's it? Fun. What's fun? Come on, let's go have fun. So it's really sweet to see. But I'll tell you that story because it is so easy for me to flip that switch and make it about me. Because, well, certainly she's like that. She's got a mom and dad with high mercy gifts. Certainly she would, she would respond like that. Certainly she, she's got, she's Jesus. She, you know, thinks she knows Jesus. So certainly she would be like that. We've done all the right things. And then, so I'm thinking that in my mind. And I think I even said something like that. I'm like, brother. And so, and then the guilt comes in. It's like, oh my gosh, what did I just say? What is she going to think? Yada, yada, yada. And then the shame, I'm like, oh Lord, I can't even, can't even take a compliment. My God, what's wrong with me? You know, but so easy. I'm thinking the Lord is so faithful. And anytime you're talking on something, he's going to bring every example you can think of right back at you. But it was so funny because I was in my mind going, wow, how quickly I go, my feelings go, my performance goes to the throne. So quickly, so quickly, and I quickly, you know, I mean, the biggest thing that we can do in those situations for me, I was like confessing, sorry, forgive me, Lord, that I was trying to make it about me. That sweet gal was encouraging Jesus in Hopi. I mean, really encouraging as a little four-year-old level. So really, really fun. And, and let me tell you guys, that is what it's all about. It's those quick moments that the Spirit quickly convicts and affirms us and really is just waiting at the window. Think of that picture of the purple parrots, those little kids waiting at the window for their mommies. He is right there waiting for us to respond in that way to him. He loves us and cares for us and wants us to know him, wants us to be aligned with him. Just as Elizabeth said, in his little bits, in your, in your bathtub, as you're nursing, whatever, he wants you. He wants you. You are his. You have already been stamped his, and he, but he wants that relationship that takes time. So whatever little time you have, do it to him, okay? Um, what else? Are, we, are y'all going to do questions, Mel? What are you guys going to do? So, um, any, just to have some table. Oh, here comes Morgan. Oh, great. Well, let's let's do that. If at your at your table, let's go through those three things: comparison, guilt, and shame. Okay. First, the first thing I would encourage you guys to do what would be to think through which one you relate to. Okay, if it's comparison, if it's guilt, if it's shame, and then with those, I would encourage you guys to think through examples, okay, and then think through what scriptures apply to those examples. Okay, you can use the three scripture examples that I gave you guys or something different. And, and again, I want to encourage you guys that the Lord works in our lives not only for ourselves, but also for, for us to be able to encourage others. And a lot of you guys have done great work with the Lord. Um, I know a lot of you guys have, have worked through the ministry of um, Celebrate Recovery and Regeneration, which is awesome. And, and, um, but the, he's not done with us in any area. Again, I think for me, it's, it was one of those realities that when hope... Um, was born, it was like, ooh, I get to work through some of this stuff again because I see it in my in my daughter and it kind of riles that stuff, those thoughts back in me. So um, those are some of the things that I'd encourage you guys to think through and pray through of where am I on this spectrum? What am I struggling with? Let's, If you feel comfortable getting it out, get it out. Confess it to each other. Get it out. And then um, think through Scripture and help each other with Scripture, you know? So help each other think through God's word, what you would do in those specific situations. So let me pray for us.
as we um, dive in with each other in our lives and just thank the Lord for our time. Father, we are grateful for who you are in each of our lives. We are grateful that you want us, that you want our worship, you want our lives, our performance, our feelings, etc. That um, you want all of us to come in line with what your word says um, and how we respond to you and the cross. Let's rather help us as we think through our own personal lives, areas that we may struggle in, areas that, that we have walked through and can encourage others in. Help us, Lord, be lights in dark places. Help us be vulnerable with one another and help us um, remember your word and apply it to our lives in these specific ways, Lord. Thank you for our time. Thank, for, thank you for these faithful women and a place to come where your child is being taken care of and just to enjoy the fellowship and be nurtured and loved in you, Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.